because it's going to answer a lot of questions and things that we are dealing with. You know, sometimes, as much as I love teaching a series, sometimes the problem with the series is <clears throat> that it's, it's built upon things that are said previously, and if somebody misses some little part, it's kind of like going from the foundation to the roof, just nothing for it to stand on if you haven't been there for the building of the walls and the process. And so sometimes people misunderstand why you're putting the roof where you're putting it. And uh, you got to go back and look again at the entire structure, and that'll help you to understand what's going on. So uh, I will do a brief review, but, but um, I really need to move into some other areas this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 17 and 18 has been our text uh, for this particular lesson. 2 Peter 3 verses 17 and 18. The apostle writes, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory from now and forever. Amen. So the Apostle says, Beware, beware. And he's writing to people that are saved. But he said, You need to use caution. You need to proceed with caution, if you please. Don't, don't take this lightly. Just because you've come to God and you've experienced salvation, don't just sit back and think it's all coasting from here. But be on your guard. Because he said, it's still possible. And I know this is contrary to what some churches teach, but... It's right here in, in black and white in your Bible. It's still possible, he says, to the saints. It's still possible for you to be led away with the error of the wicked. And it is possible for you to fall from your own steadfastness. Now, he said, I want to tell you how to deal with that. I want to tell you what you need to do that will help to assure that doesn't happen. The way you're going to be able to remain steadfast and the way you're going to be able to resist the error of the wicked is to grow. Don't be satisfied with where you are. Don't be satisfied with your current experience, but grow. Grow in grace. That's an interesting statement, Brother Hall. And I know everybody's standing, but bear with me for just a moment. That's an interesting statement. When the church world teaches that grace is simply the unmerited favor of God, how do you grow in that? If it's unmerited, how do you grow in that? I mean, there's, there's no way to grow if it's unmerited. 
It's either there or it's not there. Grace is not the unmerited favor of God. Noah found grace not because God just simply went around and spun the wheel and said, let's see whose name comes up. Oh, okay, Noah, you're the man. But Noah found grace because he was a preacher of righteousness. When the rest of the world had their mind entirely on sin, the Bible says the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually but not Noah Noah was living and practicing and preaching righteousness and that's why he found grace and really the basic definition of grace is God's strength to perform God's will that's what it really is because the Apostle Paul asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh and the Lord said to him, my grace, not my unmerited favor, but my grace is sufficient. Then he says, for, or let me explain what I am saying here, Paul. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So when he talked about grace, God defined it as strength. And he said, Paul, you don't have the strength to do what you need to do by yourself. But by my grace, I'll give you the strength to do what you cannot do. That's how at 600 years old Noah could build an ark. He didn't have the strength, but God's grace gave him strength. All right, that's another lesson for another day. But we are to grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we are continuing on with this subject of, gra uh, of growth. I start to say grace. We're, we're continuing on the subject of growth, and this is part four of this lesson on growth. Amen. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices, Let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. We need His help. I need His grace today. So let's talk to the Lord together. Jesus name in Jesus name let's worship him together one more time let's praise him before you're seated come on let's praise him let's praise him hallelujah oh Jesus praise God praise God God bless you you may be seated now, we've been talking about spiritual growth, and as I explained, uh, I felt led the first of this year, actually, to uh, just go back and start teaching the basics and to teach, uh, as it were, uh, 
a new converts course in our adult Bible class on Sunday mornings. And, and uh, we've tried to make it more than just new converts. We've tried to strengthen uh, those converts that have been around for a while as well. And I hope and pray that we've accomplished that. But because it is, it is geared toward uh, the basics, we, we, we've, we, we've talked about what it means to be in the family of God and how you don't join God's family. You might join a church, but you don't join the church. You understand the difference? You might join a church, but you don't join the church. You have to be born into the church. And the way you're born into the church is by the new birth. You have to be born again. I, I, I don't want to get sidetracked, but get your Bible. Let's read it. Just I just want to, uh, I, I spent a whole week on this, so I'm not going to, not going to spend another week on it, but, but it's just important that we address it uh, because there are so many differing ideas about what it means to be born again. You ask different people what does it mean to be born again because I think most Christians would agree that you must be born again in order to be saved. Uh, let's go to John chapter 3 and start with verse 3 if you would. And, uh, and let me just, I'm going to try this real quick and then we're moving on. But John chapter 3 and verse 3, here's what happens. Jesus answered and said Jesus unto him, answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, uh -huh. Except a man be born again, Unless a man is born again, He cannot see the kingdom verse, of verse God. Verse 3, we need verse 3. We got verse 5 up there. We need verse 3 if we could. Thank you. All right, so except a man be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't see the kingdom of God. So, look, there's no argument. Jesus is the one with the keys. Contrary to popular belief, Peter's not the one standing at the gate letting people in or out. That's, that's, that's not scriptural. Jesus is the one who lets people in and out. He said, I'm the one that has the key. That's what he said in the book of Revelation. Uh, now, the keys he gave Peter is something altogether different, but... That's where people misunderstand. They say, well, Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, so he's standing at the gate of heaven. No, that's not what those keys represented. Um, anyhow, another lesson for another day. But we cannot argue this fact that Jesus said, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You're not going to be saved if you're not born again. That, that's without dispute. There's no debate on that subject. Where the debate comes in is what does it mean to be born again? But there really shouldn't be a debate on that either because that is the very next thing that gets asked and then Jesus answers it himself. So let's see, verse number four. Nicodemus, Nicodemus saith unto him, said to him, how can a man be born? can a man be born when he is old? When he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb so, and be born? So Jesus said, the only way you're going to be saved is to be born again. And Nicodemus said, how in the world do you do that? How can you be born again? Now, now look. These people who say being born again means to accept the Lord or make a profession of faith or believe on the Lord, they really need to go back and read the words of Jesus because that's not what Jesus said. 
The question is clear. What does it mean to be born again? And the answer is just as clear. Verse number 5, he says this. Jesus answered. Jesus, an Jesus did what? Answered. He did what? Answered. Jesus is not starting a new subject. Right. He's answering the question, what does it mean to be born again? Jesus answered. Verily, verily. Truly, truly. I say unto I thee. I tell you. Except a man be born of water. you are born of water. And of spirit. And you are born of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You're not going to the kingdom of God. That's, that's the answer. It's not believing. It's not accepting. It's not professing. It's being born of water and born of the spirit. That's how you're born again. And until you've been born of water and born of the Spirit, you are not born again. Now, we can, we can debate what it means to be born of water and born of the Spirit, but we shouldn't because the Apostle Peter answered that question. Let's, let's, I've got to get off this, but Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter explains what it means to be born of water and born of spirit. In Acts chapter 2, start with verse 37 if you would and see that we've got a question here much like the question Nicodemus asked. Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, when they, heard this they were pricked in their heart. They were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh -huh. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Right, Jesus already told us what we shall do. We shall be born again. But they didn't hear Jesus say that. So they didn't know what the answer was. So Peter has to tell them, Peter spent three and a half years with the Lord. Peter knew what Jesus said. And Peter's not making up something new. He's doing what he was commanded to do. And so they ask him, tell us what to do. So he gives the exact same thing, uh, the exact same answer that Jesus gave. Jesus said, be born of water and born of the Spirit. So what does Peter say? Then Peter said unto then them, Peter said to them repent, repent and be baptized. And be baptized, born of water. Every one of, Every you, one of you in the name of, Jesus, the name of Christ, Jesus Christ for the remission, for the remission of, sins. of sins. And you shall, and receive, you shall receive the gift, of the, gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, born of Spirit. So Peter's answer was no different than Jesus' answer. The same answer. Born of water is baptized in Jesus' name. Born of the Spirit's receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I taught a whole lesson on it just a few weeks ago. I don't have time to get into it. But that's where it all begins. But once you come into the church, you are, you are a babe in Christ, according to Scripture. You've just been born. You're a spiritual baby. But babies need to grow. We don't want them staying a bit, as cute as they are. You know, I've, I've heard people say, oh, I wish they could stay a baby. All. No, you really don't. No, you really don't. You, you don't want 20 years from now to be changing diapers. You, 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 you don't want 20 years from now to have to be putting them on your shoulder and burping them. You you. You, 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 no, no. You, you don't want to wake up 2 o'clock in the morning and have to give them. You don't want them to stay a baby forever. You want them to grow up. I know they're cute as babies, but 
But they don't stay cute if they don't grow. And so it is spiritually. There's got to be some growth. But unfortunately, some people are so happy that they got saved that they never progress beyond that moment of salvation. And 20 years later, they're still spiritual babies. It shouldn't be that way. There needs to be growth. And that growth needs to be a balanced growth. Right? I mean, you, you don't want them to just get bigger physically and never become more intellectual. You don't want them to get, to, to, to get more knowledge and even gain some physical height and still have the emotions of a six-month-old. Right? There's got to be a balanced growth for it to be healthy. And so uh, last week I gave you a verse of Scripture, and we're going to go and read that again. Uh, I gave you a verse of Scripture that I believe shows us the, the four areas that constitute a balanced life, a balanced growth in the kingdom of God. So let's go back and look at that verse. That's Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So here the Bible is talking about the man Christ Jesus. This is not talking about Jesus as God. God doesn't get bigger. God doesn't increase in wisdom. It's talking about the man, the humanity of Christ. But, but it's very clear. Now, Luke wrote this. And, and Luke was a physician. He cared about details. And if anybody understood what it meant to have balanced growth, a physician would understand that. Right? And so he's letting everybody know that the man Christ Jesus, as he grew, this was a balanced growth. And it also says to us, this is, is our standard for balanced growth. Because he came to be our example. And so if we are going to become what he wants us to become, we need to grow in these four areas as well. We talked about two of them last week. The first one being growing in wisdom. Talked about what wisdom is. Wisdom is not the same as knowledge. Wisdom is knowing how to use that knowledge. knowing how to use the knowledge. That's what wisdom is. You can know things and not know what to do about those things. Wisdom tells you how to apply the facts that you know. And, and listen, wisdom is not something that just comes with the new birth. Because James, writing to people who are saved, said, if any of you lack wisdom. So he makes it clear. You can be born again and still not have wisdom. And believe me, in my 50 years of living for God and 40 years of, of, of pastoring, uh, believe me, 
I've seen a lot of people get the Holy Ghost that just didn't get wisdom. Now, we need wisdom. We need to grow in wisdom. And then he said to grow in stature. And the word stature, that's not the Mississippi form of the word statue. I can say that because I live down there. But stature is another word for height. How tall a person is. Their build, their physical build. And, and this was something that Jesus increased in. And if we're talking spiritually, then there needs to be a spiritual growth of stature. Because see, as a person naturally grows in stature, there are certain things that happen with that growth. They become more coordinated, typically. Uh, generally speaking. They become more coordinated. Um, their, their, their digestive system changes. There are things that happen to them as they get bigger. They, they become more steady to walk. As, as they come up from just a child, they, they learn balance. They learn how to walk. And so in our spiritual um, lives, we as we grow in stature, what that means is we become more steady in our walk with God. It means we are able to handle strong meat of the word and not just the milk that's given to infants. When a person can't take strong preaching, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. It really is. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. If they can't take strong preaching, I'm not talking about being harsh. There is a difference. Somebody said, I like steak, but don't slap me in the face with it. And unfortunately, I know some men that like to take strong preaching and slap people in the face with it. That's not what I'm talking about. But strong preaching will correct you. Strong preaching will condemn certain lifestyles. Strong preaching will convict you. It's not all about I'm okay, you're okay. Though that's what the masses are looking for today in America. They want to go find a church where everybody's okay. Make me feel good about myself. Well, I want to tell you, if I understand the Bible correctly, there's a whole lot about ourselves we should not feel good about. There's a whole lot we need to correct in our lives. And the way that's going to be done is through some preaching that goes beyond just the milk of the Word. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to make you squirm a little bit. It's going to call you out. Not, not, I'm not talking about by name, but it's going to identify the problems of your life. And say, hey, you need to fix this. 
Look, we, we need that in our spiritual babies are not ready for that. That's why I've said over and over and over, please, saints of God, don't go to new converts and try to line their lives out. They're still on milk. Don't try to force the steak down their throats. And if they come to you and ask questions that you know would be too hard for a new convert, the answer is, you know, why don't you talk to the pastor about that? I think he could help you there. Hallelujah. Not because I think I've got all the answers, but I have dealt with people long enough that I think I know how to do things gently. Sometimes, I mean, they really are insistent they want the steak, then you might have to get out the, 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 the food processor. You know what I'm saying? You've got you to get it out there. And, and I mean, I, I, I worked, I worked with, uh, with an elderly man for a period of time as a caregiver uh, for him. And, uh, and I, I watched many of the people in that facility that they would, they would have to take their food and they'd, they'd, uh, they'd have to process it. And so when they put it on their plates, it was just one big clump. It was, yeah, pureed, and, 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 and everything looked the same, maybe just a little different color. But, I mean, they'd grind it down and grind it down and grind it down till you could almost drink it with a straw. Sometimes, sometimes... That's what you got to do. You got a new convert's really interested. They really want to know. It's really bothering them. You know, you, you got to take them to somebody who knows how to use the food processor. You say, okay, let me let me let me grind this down a little bit. I'll answer your question, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna puree this a little bit here. So, hopefully, your your system is ready to take this. Hallelujah. Growing in stature. So those are the first two areas. We covered those last week. So today we want to move on and try to cover the last two areas of balanced growth. So uh, I, I tell you what, let's, let's get Luke 2.52 back up there again. And let's look at it one more time uh, just so we can remember where we are. Luke 2 and 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so we've talked about wisdom and stature. Let's move on now. To growing in favor with God. Now, it's interesting that he says growing in favor, not gaining favor. Let me tell you the very fact that the Lord chose to save you means he extended favor to you. In fact, I submit to you the very fact that you're sitting on a church pew right now means God has extended favor to you. The fact that you are here right now, the Bible says no man can even come to God except the Spirit draw him. So, so yes, you came of your own volition. Yes, you decided to come. But I want to tell you, there was something greater going on, and that is the Spirit of God reached down and extended favor to you and said, I love you enough that I, I really want to see you at my house today. And so, 
in fact, thank you, Brother Goff. Thank you for the songs that, that you led this morning reminding us of the love of God because somebody here needed to hear that. Somebody here needs to be reminded that no matter what's going on in your life, there is a God that loves you. He cares about the problems and the situations. He cares about the things that are weighing you down. God is concerned about your life. And the fact that you're here shows that. You've already gained his faith. His favor has already been extended to you. But now, now it's our obligation to grow in favor with God. It's not enough. It's not enough to just have God's favor to draw us here. But we need... We need to be doing things that's going to that's going to help us to increase the amount of favor he shows us. And again, I know this is contrary to what a lot of folks teach cuz they just teach God just loves you, it doesn't matter, live any way you want to. Just just be reckless with your life and God just loves you. And I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't even, that's not even logical. Is there a parent anywhere that would dare claim, I love my children so much, I don't care what they do? If they want to go play in the highway, I know they're going to get hurt, but I just love them so much. I said this on one of our podcasts uh, a few months ago, but I, I made the statement. I said, I'd hate to think that I've got cancer and I go to a doctor. And he says, well, Mr. Riggin, I love you. See you next time. Well, Doc, I'm glad you're fond of me, but I'd really like to know what to do about this cancer. Oh, well, I love you. It doesn't matter. I love you. See you next time. Be sure and pay your bill on the way out. But I love you. And that's the kind of God some people imagine. Your life is full of the cancer of sin. Oh, but God loves you. Well, yes, He does. He loves you enough to let you come as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He knows that cancer is going to destroy you and God wants to deal with it. Because he loves you. Are you going to tell me? Again, going back to parents, your child contracts some sickness, some illness, and, and you're just going to love them, just going to love them. Well, yes, you're going to love them. But you're not going to do anything about it. Or if your child's got some very unhealthy habit in their life, that you know is causing them to get sick? As a parent, are you just going to say, well, I just, I just love you. 
Just go right ahead. Do what you want. It's, it's going to hurt you in the long run. You're, you're going to suffer for this. But, but it doesn't matter because I love you. That is not love. I'm sorry. That's not love. And when you try to paint God in that light, you're really taking away from the love of God. If God doesn't care, then God doesn't love. The more you love, the more you care. The God I serve loves me abundantly. But that means he cares abundantly about how I live, what I do, where I go. He cares about whether I am doing things that are going to help me or they're going to hurt me. God cares about all of that because he loves me. That's real love. That's real love. And look, again, this is, this is without debate because the Bible is very clear that even the man Christ Jesus increased in favor with God. Does the Bible say that or not? The man Christ Jesus increased in favor with God. So if he had to increase in favor with God, where do we get this idea? Where does this come from? That we don't have to do anything. God's just going to love us. We can live like we want to, talk like we want to, do what we want. God's just going to love us. Well, then explain to me how Jesus increased in favor with God. And explain to me why he had to, but we don't. Now, if Luke had said Jesus didn't need to increase in, in, in favor with God, I'd, I'd have said, well, I, I can accept that. I don't have a problem with that. But he didn't. He pointed out that it was necessary even for the Son of God. And if it's necessary for the Son of God, the Son of God, it is necessary for the sons and daughters of God. We need, we need to increase in favor with God. And the way we do that, first of all, is simply by living a godly lifestyle. Now, we, we, we mentioned grace a while ago. Um, let's, let's read what Titus said about grace. Titus really gives us some really, really valuable insight on grace. Grace chapter 2, uh, grace. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all, all men. All right, now, what's the subject? What's the subject? Grace is the subject. Grace appeared. And what did grace do? Verse 12. Teaching us that denying Grace ungodliness. teaches us to deny ungodliness. And worldly lusts. And worldly lusts. We should live soberly. Grace teaches us that we ought to live soberly. Righteously. Righteously. And godly. And godly. In this present, in this world. present world. That's Grace. Yes. 
That is grace. Grace instructs us. You ought to live to please God. You ought to do what's right. You ought to avoid sin. You shouldn't live like you want to, talk like you want to, act like you want to. You shouldn't do that. Grace teaches us that. Oh, Lord, I, 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 I may not get beyond the third one today. I don't know. But, uh, this is not in, not in the notes, but Brother Goff, go over to Romans, go to Romans chapter 6. And look, let's, let's just put this whole idea. This is, it's, it's one of the, I'm just being transparent, church, but it's, to me, one of the most frustrating things about Christianity today is that they've created this concept. That God just, just, you know, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It just doesn't matter. You, 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 you're just, you know, we're all sinners. There's just, everybody's a sinner. There's just saved sinners and lost sinners. But we're all just sinners. And we're all, everybody's sinning and everybody's, and, 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 and God just, God just doesn't care about all. And his grace just covers us from all of that. Now look, as nice as that sounds, it is so far from what the Bible teaches. I mean, it's 180 degrees from what the scripture says. So, so read for me Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say what then? Shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Does this, does this deal with the whole subject at hand or not? I mean, isn't this the church world is teaching grace will just abound to cover your sin. Grace just abounds to cover your sin. And Paul said, so what should we do? Should we just keep on sinning? Right. Is, is that really what God wants for the church today? We just keep on sinning so grace can keep on covering for us? And what's his answer in verse 2? God forbid. That's the answer. God forbid. Right. Yes, sir. God forbid that you just keep living in sin. Right. God forbid that you just keep living in sin. Yes, sir. That's the answer. How shall we that are dead to sin live? That's what repentance is supposed to be. If you've really repented, you're supposed to be dead to that sin. And if you're dead to it, how do you keep living in it? And if you still live in it, you're not dead to it. And if you're not dead to it, you haven't repented. Well... Oh, you're just, you're a legalist. You're, you're putting people under the law. Well, let's just answer that one while we're right here in Romans chapter 6. Verse number 14. It's amazing to me how much of the church world loves the book of Romans as long as you stay in chapter 10. But let's stay out of chapter 6. They don't like chapter 6 too well. They don't like chapter 10, which they totally misunderstand, by the way. Totally misunderstand. 
They take Romans chapter 10 about believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Oh, that's the plan of salvation. No, it's not. Because Romans was written to the church at Rome. Those people are already saved. He's not telling them how to get saved. They're already saved. But here's what he's saying to people that are already saved also. In, in, in Romans chapter 6, what's verse 14 tell us? For sin so, shall so, not so have preacher, dominion. You're just putting people under the law. You're, you're under the law. You're telling people they got to live right because you're putting them under the law. Well, let's see what Paul says. Verse 14, for sin shall not have, shall dominion, not have over dominion over you. For ye are not under because the law. Because you're not under the law. But under grace. Whoa, Paul just took that one and knocked it out of the park. He said the people that are continuing to sin are the ones living under law. Why? Because grace teaches us not to live that way. Grace teaches us we got to do right. Grace teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace teaches us to deny ungodly lusts. Grace teaches us we got to live right. We got to do right. We got to act right. We got to talk right. Grace teaches us how to live for God. You want to know who's under the law? It's those that continue in sin. They're the ones under the law. How could that be? I'll tell you how that could be. Because the law here is referring to the law of Moses. And what did the Jews do? The Jews lived their lives the way they wanted to live and then once a year came and offered sacrifice. That was the law. The law was there is a sacrifice that just covers me whenever I want to sin. But now, under grace, it's supposed to be different. See, people think that, that with, with grace, God did away with the commandments. He didn't. Here's what he said. He said, I'm going to write a new covenant, not one without commandment or without law. That's not what he said. He said, I'm writing a new covenant. And the new covenant is going to be this. It's not going to be on the tables of stone that Moses had. It's going to be on the tables of your heart. The new covenant is you still do what God commands, but now you do it because you love God, not because thou shalt and thou shalt not. You still don't lie. You still don't covet. You still don't commit adultery. You still don't steal. You still don't kill. Come on, somebody. But now it's not because of thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's because I love God. And I know that's what God wants. And I want to please Him. I've raised three kids. And got nine grandkids coming up. And I, I can tell you, Kids learn early on. They really want something. I know what they do. I love you, Daddy. You're the best Daddy in all the world. You're so wonderful, Daddy. I mean, those hugs you can't hardly get, man. They're just free. They hand them out. Come on, you're laughing because you know it's true. Yeah. 
And all of a sudden, Daddy's heart just starts going pitter-patter. And you know as well as anybody what they're doing, but you still like it. And when they do it, you know what happens? They grow in favor. Oh, you already love them. You love them enough to lay your life down for them. But something about it, when they're showing you appreciation and they're showing you love and they're doing what you ask and you walk in, their room's all clean. You're going to tell me that doesn't increase that favor? Yes, you, you love them with everything in you. But we're not just talking about love. We're talking about favor. I love my kids. But if they come to me and ask me to sponsor something that's sinful, I'm not granting them that favor. We need to increase in favor with God. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Follow peace with all men, Follow and, peace with all men and, holiness, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I'm telling you, I'm telling you today, you want to see the Lord? You want to meet the Lord in peace? God is a holy God. And look, He doesn't just pretend that we're holy. Again, that's the way a lot of the church world, they, they probably won't, well, I know they won't use that terminology, but that's really what they're saying. You're living unholy, you're living ungodly, but God sees you as holy. So in other words, God's pretending. God just pretends that you're holy even when he knows you're not. No, that's not God. God's not pretending anything. God wants you to be holy. And without it, you're not going to see Him. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I can boil it down to this. You want favor with God? Learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. It's as simple as that. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. And you're going to find that you start increasing in favor. Lord have mercy. There's a difference between being blessed of God and having the favor of God. There's a difference between being used of God and having the favor of God. Samson, Samson was used of God. God blessed him from time to time. But Samson never found God's favor. Because he's out sleeping with prostitutes. He's defiling his Nazarite vow. Before his hair was ever cut, he defiled his, his Nazarite. I think Brother Self mentioned this the other night at the camp out. And it's an absolute fact. Before he ever 
had his hair cut, he had already defiled his Nazarite vow on more than one occasion. He was not supposed to touch a dead carcass as a Nazarite. That was one of the things they were not supposed to do. But he was bragging about the fact that he got honey from the carcass of a lion. He even picked up the jawbone of a donkey. And God, in his mercy, used Samson while Samson is holding the very thing that violates his vow. Just because God uses somebody doesn't mean God favors them. We need, to, we need to get that revelation. You see people being used. They're being used. Oh, God, they must be really spiritual. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Samson was not spiritual by any stretch of the imagination, but he was mightily used. What we want is God's favor in our lives. I, I really, I don't think I'm going to get to point four, and I really wanted to, but I don't think I'm going to get there. There's just so much that's coming to me right now. Um, get for me Second Chronicles 7.14. We know this verse, and I could, I could quote it to you, but I just want to make sure you see something in this verse that I'm afraid too many people miss. In, in, in this and it's relevant to what we're talking about right now because we're talking about finding favor with God growing in favor with God 2nd Chronicles 7.14 what does it say? If my people if my people which are called, which are called by, my, by name, my name shall humble themselves and pray uh -huh. and seek my face and seek my what? face my what? face my face uh huh. And turn from their wicked ways. Uh huh. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their, forgive sin, their sin. And will heal their land. And heal their land. Now there's a whole lot of this verse that people just kind of run over as they quote it, and they really don't pay any attention to it. But the first thing that I want you to see is what God says we ought to be seeking is His face. But do you know what most people seek? His hand. They want the blessings God will give them. Lord, extend your hand toward me. Bless me, Jesus. Provide for me, Jesus. Fix this problem for me, Jesus. They're, they're seeking God's hands. But God said, if only my people would seek my face. Let me, let me, let me, let me tell you something. I don't know if those of you over on the far side can see what I'm about to do. But, but look, I can, I can talk to you. I can extend my hand. I can extend my hand and give Brother Goff something. Here you go. You can take that. Somebody said never refuse a mint when you're offered one. You probably, uh, you may need it. No, I'm just. So, so look, my face doesn't even have to turn that direction for my hand to go there. And I'm afraid there's a whole lot of people that's exactly what God's doing in their life. He's extending, they're asking for his hand and he's extending his hand. But God said, oh, if only my people would seek my face. Because see, my hands will follow where my face is. My, my, my. 
And I can do a whole lot more with my hands in helping you if my face is pointed in that direction. And what we need to do is not seek God's blessings. We need to seek God's favor. If we seek his favor, we'll find his blessings. Praise God. Praise God. See, we've got to learn how to be spiritually minded. We talked about this, uh, I think, last week some. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But, but, but let's, let's look at it again. Romans chapter 8, verse number 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded. To be carnally minded. Now, he's writing this to the church in Rome. He's not saying all those sinners out there, they got a problem. He's saying to the people in the church, if you don't get control of that carnal mind of yours, you're headed for spiritual death. He's saying that to the church. You got to get rid of your carnal mind or you will end up in spiritual death. We've got to learn to be spiritually minded. We need a fresh baptism in our minds. We need the renewing of our minds to come through the power of the Holy Ghost because this mind controls everything. You are what you think. You become what you think. Whatever you dwell on, you will eventually do. That's why, that's why you've got to that's why you've got to cast down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is not something you do passively. It's an active thing. Your mind starts going places it shouldn't go. You've got to just reach out there and grab it and pull it back in. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. How do you do that? Well, I want to tell you. One of the things you can do is get your Bible down and start reading it. Make your mind think of something else. Somebody wisely said one time, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. And that's the way it is with thoughts. You can't stop some thoughts from coming through your mind, but you don't have to sit and dwell on them. You bring them into captivity. You gird up the loins of your mind, the apostle said. You've got to learn to think the way God wants you to think. Not thinking to please your own flesh. But what can I do that will please the Spirit? See, this is what I don't understand. Even people who, who have this crazy idea that, that God, just, God just overlooks sin, overlooks sin. Why would you want to live that? There's something wrong with you spiritually that makes you want to live that way. 
You want to live a life that displeases God? You want that? There's something wrong. You should desire to please God. And if you don't, it's time for another trip to the altar. It's time to ask God to rejuvenate your thoughts and transform your mind. Uh, you know, there's a story I like to tell, and I, I know Brother, Brother Kent is listening online. For those who don't know Brother Kent, he's an over-the-road truck driver and rarely gets to be in church, but he is always listening online, very faithful to listen online. Um, I told this story once before, and, and it stuck with him, and he has many times texted me making reference to it, so maybe it'll help somebody that hasn't heard it, but there, there is a story of, of, of a group of people listening to a wise old Indian chief, and, and, and he, was, he was explaining to them that within every man there are two dogs that are constantly at war. There is the good dog and there's the bad dog and they're constantly fighting one another. And, and eventually one dog wins. And somebody said, well, how, how do we decide which dog's going to win? And the chief said, it's very simple. It's whichever dog you feed the most. That's the one who wins. And that's so true with our carnal nature and our spiritual nature. Whatever you're feeding the most, that's what's going to win. You spend your time doing carnal things and thinking carnal thoughts and going carnal places and reading carnal books and talking to carnal people. You're feeding that carnal dog. But if you'll get in the company of spiritual people and you'll read spiritual things and you'll, you'll, you'll sing spiritual songs. Listen, that's one reason why I'm so adamant about the music you listen to. There was a man many, 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 many years ago who said, I care not who writes the laws so long as I can write the ballads. If I can write the songs the people sing, I don't care what laws are in place. Because music has an impact on us like nothing else. God created us that way. You, you walk into a home where people are, 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 are afflicted with the dread, dread disease of Alzheimer's. And they may not remember who their husband is, but you can sit down beside them and sing a song they once knew. And they'll sing it right along with you and never miss a word. That music has an impact on us that nothing else. I've watched it in my own life. I, I don't, sometimes I don't remember what I had for breakfast the day before. But, but I can hear somebody start singing a song that I hadn't heard in years. And man, I remember that song. I remember that. It, it just comes back to me. And so if you're listening to songs that are abusive to women, full of cursing, and those are the things that are being etched into your heart and into your memory. It's there. Oh, it won't affect me. Yeah, well, you just wait until your mind starts to slip with old age. And you know what's going to be coming out of you? The things you were putting in there. 
Right now you might be able to control it and not let it slip out, but the day will come. What's buried in there is coming out. And so I just want to fill this mind and my heart and my spirit with the things of God. I want the things of God to just emanate from me. Somebody said, said, said I want to be so, so full of the Holy Ghost that if a mosquito bites me, it goes off singing, there's power in the blood. Oh, Jesus, I'm telling you, we got to feed that spiritual dog that's on the inside of us if we want it to win. And you feed the spiritual man through prayer, through fasting, through Bible study. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you got to pray 24 hours a day. What that means is don't ever stop having a consistent prayer life. You pray regularly. You talk to God regularly. And don't ever stop doing that. I'll never forget hearing the story about a man that, that he just, I, I forget what time it was, but he had a, he had a certain time that he would, he would pray every day, every day without fail. I don't care what happened, he prayed. I, I, I want to say it was 6 a.m. I, I don't remember for sure, but, but every day he was faithful for years and for years and for years. And then one day he was in a tragic wreck and, and was in a coma and, and they didn't even expect him to live. And, and, and somehow, even in that comatose state, he started improving and he started getting better and, 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 and somebody started questioning the doctors and the nurses and they said, we don't really know what's going on, but they said every morning about 6 o'clock, something happens in this room. Something takes place right here. And we watch his vitals start improving during that time. And we watch things start happening. And I, I tell you, here's what. I believe that he had such a walk with God, such a consistency in his prayer life, that when it came that time, God said, I know what you'd be doing right now if you were to yourself. You can't get to me, so I'm coming to you. Oh, does anybody feel the Holy Ghost right now? I'm telling you, that's what I want it to be in my walk with God. I want God to see that kind of consistency. I want God to see that kind of faithfulness, that kind of dependability in my life. Pray without ceasing. And then, of course, Mark 9, 29. And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Listen to me. There are some things that can only happen through times of fasting. And I'm going to tell you, if you're desperate enough for victory, you'll fast. I had a woman many years ago who came into the church and she was in the church for a period of time and just could not seem to give up her cigarettes. And I think that was the, one of the first times, no, no, it wouldn't have been one of the first, but it was, it was not long after I had heard 
uh, Elder Bean's, the, the tapes of Elder Bean teaching on prayer. It's now been put into book form, but I, I listened to the, to the recordings of that good man talking about prayer, and, and I'd heard him say things, and I'd gotten stirred up, and, and if I remember right, I'd gone back and listened again, and, and shortly after that is when this woman came to me, and she said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I feel like such a hypocrite. She said, I come to church, and, 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 I, and I shout, but said, I go home, I end up lighting up, and I end up smoking again, and, and I know I shouldn't. I know God's not pleased with it, but I just can't seem to break it. And I said, Sister, how, how badly do you want to break it? She said, I want to break it bad. I said, well, I just listened to a man of God make a statement. He said, I've never encountered any spirit that I couldn't break if I fasted three days without food or water. Any spirit I've ever encountered, I broke it on that fast. I said, Sister, I'm willing to join you on that fast if you're willing to do it. She said, I want deliverance. I want victory. She said, but what about my cigarettes? I said, if you're going to light up, we're not going to fast. She said, all right, I'll do it. Two days into the fast, she came to me, and she said, I felt it when it broke. It left me. It's gone. I said, well, we're not giving up the fast yet. We're going to finish these three days. We fasted those three days. To my knowledge, that's been many, many years ago. To my knowledge, she's never picked up another cigarette since. God brought deliverance. I'm just telling you, saints. I'm telling you. You really want deliverance? Uh, see, people want things. They just don't want to pay the price. Man, I saw the most beautiful uh, Lincoln the other day. It, it, it's, it was a, a 1936, I think, Lincoln Model K, which was came out after the L that I own, this Model K. But, man, that thing was gorgeous. It was beautiful. I had to crucify my flesh to keep from coveting. But I didn't want to pay the price for it. <laughs> I didn't want to pay the price. I want it. I'd love to have it. But I'm not willing to pay the price. And that's the way some of us are in our spiritual walk. There are things we really want. I don't doubt that you want it. But are you willing to pay the price for it? Are you willing to show God how desperately you Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. Not as much as I hope to, but we've covered a lot of ground. But there are, there are just times that our prayer life needs to be accompanied by fasting. It needs to be accompanied by fasting. You know, the, the Jews of old, we criticize. We criticize the Pharisees. You really ought to do a little study. You really ought to get your concordance down and, and look it up and see 
Jesus criticized the Pharisees for a lot of things, but he never criticized their holiness. He never criticized the way they lived. He criticized the hypocrisy that they were finding ways to get around the law. That's what he criticized. But in fact, he told his own disciples, whatever they tell you to do, do it. That's what he said. Look it up. It's there. Whatever they tell you to do, do. he didn't say, don't listen to those guys. Do you know, the Bible says of them that they fasted twice every week. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. And they fasted twice every week. And there are one God apostolics full of the Holy Ghost that hadn't fasted once in two years. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just trying to give you this is some of that meat. Maybe it's not pureed enough. <laughs> maybe I need to get the food processor out a little bit. Maybe I'm maybe it's getting a little bit hard here to swallow. I'm, But there are just times that we need to push the plate away and deny our flesh. We just need to. We need to. We need to. I, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I've only got 15 minutes. And I'm not that far from finishing up. Um... We're talking about finding favor with God. Can I tell you that one of the ways you're going to find favor with God is through submission to authority. It really is. You know, look, look, church, I want to tell you something. Sometimes people fail to realize this. But if I put a man behind this pulpit and you, you resent that man, do you know who you're really resenting? Well, yeah, but before you get there, I'm the one that put him there. When, when you fight against someone that I've put into a position, do you know who you're really fighting against? The one that put him in that position. And there are people who would never think of, of trying to fight against me, but, but they may not like somebody that I put into place and Um, I need to very quickly try to discuss two kinds of authority. I, this is another series of lessons on its own. I don't have time to get into it this morning, but, but there is, first of all, divine authority. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And I could, I could in fact, we will. Go ahead and get for me Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Uh -huh. that, that word power is the Greek word for authority. It is exousia. It's a Greek word for authority. So let every soul be subject to the higher authorities. For there is no power there but is of no God. There is no authority but of God. The powers that be and are ordained of God. And the authorities that exist are ordained by God. Now, now listen, there is no power but of God. Here's my point in this verse, first of all. 
that there is divine authority. All authority begins with God himself. All real authority begins with God himself. God is the highest authority because he's the originator of authority. And any authority anyone else has is either delegated or usurped. That's it. Nobody can self-generate authority. Whatever authority they possess, it's either delegated to them, given to them by someone who had the authority to give it, or they just usurped it. They just took it on themselves, which is what the devil did. He has some authority, but what authority he has, he took on himself. He usurped it. He is the ultimate usurper of authority. And really, he's behind any attempt to usurp authority. That's why the Bible refers to those that are not saved as being the children of disobedience. Because they're not submitted to God's authority. And, 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 and listen, everybody, I don't care who they are, I don't care if, if we're talking husbands, pastors, I don't care who they are. I don't care. The fact of the matter is their authority has to be within the confines of what God has granted them. So, so a, a woman marries a man and he says, you can't go to church. You cannot live for God. The Bible says that the wife is to obey her husband. So is she violating the Bible if she goes ahead and goes to church? No. You know why? Because the husband doesn't have the authority to tell her she can't go. He has violated his authority in issuing such a command. Now, the Bible says that everybody ought to dress modestly. If the husband comes along and says, in my house, this is what modest means, then she's obligated, even though the Bible doesn't specify, he has not gotten out of line with the authority God granted. Does everybody understand? That's how delegated authority works. Delegated authority doesn't have to be micromanaged. We, we, I've, I've tried to instill this in our leadership team. If I put you over something, there, there's a vision that I have. There's things I want to accomplish. If you can help me accomplish that vision, I'm not going to micromanage how you go about doing that. That's why I put you in the position. If I wanted to do it, I would do it myself. But I want you to do it your way, but stay within the vision. And so it is with authority. God originates all authority, and everybody else, if, if what you do is within the confines of his authority, then you've got the right to do that. But the minute you step out of that, that becomes usurped authority. All right? We need to understand, we need to understand delegated authority. I, I, I feel certain, especially the older I get, the day's going to come. I'm, I'm going to have to appoint a, a pastoral assistant 
I'm going to have to have somebody that can help share the load. And when that happens, you need to understand I'm delegating to that individual certain authority. And you recognize that authority. Now, if he gets up and starts saying things that are contrary to what I teach, he doesn't have that authority. I didn't delegate that to him. You understand how this works? It's really not that complicated. But, but, but listen, so, so as I said, if, if you go against somebody I put in place, you're really going against me. But if you honor somebody I put in place, you're honoring me. So do you understand that when we submit to the authorities God put in our life, whoever that is, whether it's the familial authority, civil authority, um, our, our employee, employment authorities. There's got to be a better word for it than that, but I can't think of it at the moment. But, but, but um, whatever that authority is, again, as long as they're not contradicting God's authority. When you honor that authority, you're honoring God. And by honoring the authority, you're helping to bring God's favor upon your life. I, I, I don't, I, it's, it's another lesson. I, I don't have time. The more we submit to God and those to whom he delegates authority, the more we become like him. And the closer we get to him, the further we're going to get from the world. The closer we get to him, the more we're going to find his favor. I, I've, got a, I've, I've got six minutes. Let me see if I can very quickly talk about growing in favor with men. And, and we'll finish up this lesson and I can move on to something else. Um, so, so let's talk about, we, we want to grow in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and then finally in favor with men. And we're going to skip that first John. We're going to move on from there. Um, we're not, now again, we're not seeking man's approval above God's approval. And again, I would point to you the order in which these things came. He grew in wisdom, number one. He grew in stature, number two. And that allowed him to grow in favor with God. And then finally... Last on the list, we do want to grow in favor with man. We don't want to put that at the top of the list where it's above trying to find favor with God. But it is on the list. And it does matter. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like the unto second it. second is like it. Thou shalt love thy love neighbor, neighbor as thyself. as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I mean, isn't this really growing in favor with God and growing in favor with man? That's the two things Jesus said here that are the first and second commandments. They top it all. And he said, in fact, I'll just tell you right now, 613 commandments in the Old Testament, every one of them hang on these two things. I don't care what one you're looking at. They all hang on these two things. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's loving God. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That's loving God. Don't steal. That's loving your neighbor. Don't kill. That's loving your neighbor. 
Every law fits under one of those two categories. And Mark adds just one little detail to this that I think is worth pointing out. Mark 12, verse 31. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now listen to what he says. There is none there other commandment. There is none other commandment greater, greater than, greater these. than these. Nothing more important than finding favor with God first and then finding favor with men. The Bible's very explicit concerning loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, if we can't love our brother, we cannot love God. 1 John 4 and 20. I'm trying to go through this quickly because my time is running out. If a man say I love God, man and, says I love God and hateth his brother, he hates his brother, he is a liar. That man is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now we've got to chew on that piece of steak a little while, don't we? That one's a little tough even for the most mature among us. But it's there. It's there. If you say you love God and yet you hate your brother, you're a liar. That's what the Bible says. In fact, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what the scripture calls him. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, the disciple whom Jesus loved was pretty strong. You want to talk about some steak? Go read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. It won't take you long. It, it's, it's, it's less than 10 chapters in, in, in the whole, all three of those epistles. Won't take you long to read them. But I'm going to tell you something. It's full of steak. Somebody doesn't preach this gospel, don't even bid him, don't, don't, don't tell them, don't, don't let them come in your house. Don't even say, God bless you. That's some stout stuff. I mean, I can't even say, God bless you. Nope, nope. Mm -mm. Don't do it. He said, because if you do, you become a partaker of their evil deed. Whoa. You say you love God and you hate your brother? You liar, you. Come on, John. Cut us a little bit of slack here. But the fact is, not only did he say it, he was inspired by God to say it. So this is not John's personal idea. This is God's feelings on the matter. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's some tough stuff. But it's in the Bible. It is the love that we show to others that becomes one of the greatest testimonies of our Christian experience. John 13 verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love one to another. This is the way that all men are going to know you're my disciples. It's not because you have love one for another, but this is active love one to another. You're showing that love. Has anybody been blessed this week with some text messages? Anybody gotten any text messages that have lifted your, your, your day? You, you've just heard from somebody that just said, hey, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about it. Did that make a difference in your life? Think we could do that again this coming week? I think it's a good practice for us just to let people know, hey, I love you, I'm thinking about you. We get so caught up in our day-to-day -day living. But the Bible says this is how people are going to know you're my disciples. I want to tell you, if there's anything that I want 
when a guest walks, and we're thankful for our guest today, and I hope that this is true for each of you that are here, but if there's anything that I really want people to take away from this church, when they walk out these doors, I, 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 look, I'm not interested in saying, man, what singers? I'm not interested in talking about it, and I appreciate our singers, I appreciate our musicians, I, I, but that's what I want them to do is I want them to walk away and say, boy, you can feel the love in that place. Those people really showed love. And not just to the guests, but they saw the way you love one another. If there's anything that I desire for this church, that's what it is. Because that's how the world's going to know there's something different going on here than what's going on anywhere else. Because we love one another. God, don't let us develop our cliques. God, don't let us get our little side groups together that exclude some people and only includes others. God, don't let that ever be a, a factor at the Truth Church. Now, we're all going to have our friends that we're closer to. We're all going to have people that we just get along with better. That's just a fact. In fact, read for me Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I, I know I'm over time. Give me just a couple more minutes. I'm done. If it be possible, if it be possible, as much as, as lieth much in you, as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Sound like Paul said, you know what? There are some people just hard to get along with. There are some people it's just hard to get along with. But he said, give it your best shot. If it's at all possible. He said, as much as lieth in you, give it the very best you've got to live peaceably with everybody. Man, I just have a hard time around that person. Well, give it another shot. Just try a little bit more. And back to Hebrews 12, 14, because sometimes we skip over the first part of that. What does it say? Follow peace, with, Follow all peace men with all men and holiness. We can't just separate holiness. Some people do. Some people quote this as though it says, without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Well, that's part of it, but that's not what the verse says in its entirety. There's something else that's necessary if you want to see God. You've got to follow peace with all men as well. In fact, I submit that is a part of holiness. Look, loving your neighbor is not just confined to those within the church. I say this, one final scripture, musicians come. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 19. Listen to what they said about Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. He's a friend, a friend. Of publicans and sinners. That's what they said of Jesus. He's a friend. Now that doesn't mean he did what they did. In fact, let me tell you what kind of friend he was. He met with a woman at the well. And he was friend enough to call out her sin. He didn't just get around there and say, well, let me just make you feel comfortable. Let's not worry about anything. We just, we just 
have a meal together here and we'll just act like nothing's wrong. No, no, no. He said, tell you what, go call your husband and let's talk. And she said, um, I, I, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You don't. He said, you, you've answered that well. You, I commend you. you. You found a good way to answer that question. You're right. You don't have a husband. But you have had five of them, and the one you're with now is not yours. Oh, I'm about to get myself in trouble. Jesus recognized that she had five husbands. He called each one of them her husband, didn't he? Well, that's another subject for another day, I guess. But he did recognize that they were her husband. So anyhow, it's another subject for another day. We'll get into that. So those of you who have no idea what I was saying, don't worry about it. Just an old man wandering. But I come back to my text. I come back to my text. So, so listen. They said of Jesus... He's a friend of sinners, and he was. And he was the kind of friend that when he met Zacchaeus, they talked about publicans. He met Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said, Lord, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay back what I've wronged every man. I'm, I'm going to straighten out my life. Jesus didn't go around them and make them feel comfortable in their sin. He was a friend to sinners, but he continued to be who he was. He didn't try to adapt to please them. We've got to be a friend to sinners, but we don't compromise who we are to make them happy. In fact, our life ought to bring some conviction to them. If we just make them feel comfortable, they see no need for repentance. They'll never change if you just make them feel comfortable. Jesus never made a sinner feel comfortable. I'm to read the stories. Yeah, he spent time with them. But invariably, they made things right. They repented. They confessed. They changed. The woman taken in the act of adultery. He was a friend to her. And you know one of the one of the greatest things he did as her friend was to look at her and say, go and sin no more. Now, if grace just overlooks everything, and God, then why did he tell her to quit sinning? Why didn't he just say, well, just accept me? And return to your lover. He didn't say that. He said, I'm willing to let you go. I won't condemn you, but stop it. That's what it means. Go and sin no more. Stop it. What you're doing's not right, and I don't condone it. I don't condemn you, but I don't condone you either. And that's where so many people get it wrong. They think that because he didn't condemn, he therefore condoned. 
And that's not what he was doing. He made it clear he didn't condone it because he expected her to change. All right, I'm closing. I promise you I am. We have an obligation to reach the lost, but we need to recognize that the first step in winning their souls is usually winning their friendship. We've got to do that. Our attitude needs to be the way the Lord's was. We love the sin. Sinner, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. We love the person, but we hate what they're doing. During the period of the French Revolution, there was a group of young boys, aged 12 to 17, that pulled together, decided we're going to fight. They were young. I'm talking preteen to late teen. They got together and said, we don't like what's going on around here and we're going to fight. They called themselves the Band of Hope. They practiced drills. They dressed in uniform. They even had their own flag. And here's what I like. Inscribed on that flag were these words. Tremble, tyrants. We shall grow up. I think that ought to be the battle cry of every new convert. Tremble, devil, because I'm going to grow up. You may knock me down once in a while right now, but I'm going to grow up. I'm not always going to be what I am. I'm not always going to be like I am. I'm going to grow up. You need to be shaking in your boots, devil. Because I'm practicing. I'm getting ready. The day's going to come. I'm going to take you on. I may not be ready to do it today, but there's always tomorrow. Tremble, you spiritual tyrant. Because I'm going to grow up. Let's stand today. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord, can we?